Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Thanks, Sydney. Man, it is finally here. This is the sermon series that I am probably the most excited about I've ever been in my entire life. This is like not anywhere close to having a son or marrying Courtney, but as far as sermon series goes, it's like the getting married and having a baby all at the same time, um, except morally. So, uh, whatever. Okay, um, so we're going to start out in Genesis 1. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the first page. Um, of your Bible, but I have a couple layers of introduction to explain to you um, before we really get started in this series. And the first one, I just want to convince you of this, that you can actually meet Jesus in his word. You can meet him. Every book, every chapter points to his glory. And I hope you guys got the social media notification this week. We actually released a little... um, sermon series intro on the podcast. So if you didn't get a chance to read the thoughts that we have on Luke chapter 24 this week, I would advise you to go ahead and go back and do that. I can't um, go through everything that we talked about in that intro this evening, um, but I want you to know this, that Jesus himself says that starting in the Old Testament, literally in Genesis where we're going to be tonight, all the way through the story that God has revealed to us through his word, it all points to Jesus and the gospel. Now, I am praying, 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 praying that that does not bore you, that you realize, I know so many of you, you just read New Testament and you're thinking, how can the Old Testament even make sense? How can it show me the gospel? And throughout this series, we're going to be looking at different characters and themes that are going to show you how this happens and it can change your life. I want you to love your Bibles. Life can be found in Jesus and where we meet him is literally through his word. Um, There's this weird moment where the Pharisees are basically trying to quote scripture to Jesus whenever he's on earth, and he actually rebukes them for not finding life in him. Literally, you know these scriptures, but you do not know that where you find life is in me. The point of the Bible was supposed to be to show off his glory, and they didn't get it. Only in the word can you find life. So it's literally the Bible showing off the glory of Jesus through his word for you. But I want to make another caveat. The point of the Bible, and especially the series, as we go deep, and we're going to go deep, we've got a lot of passages to go through tonight, and I hope it is intellectually satisfying you, satisfying for you, but I need you to know that the point of this is not to just fill your mind with a bunch of theological knowledge. It's not the point. The point is for you to worship Jesus. But you cannot worship what you do not know. So we want you to know this truth and have it set on fire in your hearts in worship that ultimately overflows into you loving people, making disciples to the ends of the earth. That you love God and you love your neighbors, you hate your sin, you put on Christ-like thoughts and behaviors, and you do that over and over and over again until you die or until history ends. And the end of the book shows the culmination of all the things in the Word. And this entire story of history and your story ends with all of God's people around the throne worshiping Jesus. 
And everything that God does in your life is to prepare you for that day, including his word. So tonight we're going to be looking at the ideas. If you're taking notes, you can write this down for your title. The idea that Jesus is the true and better human. So every one of these uh, sermons throughout this series is going to be Jesus, the true and better something. And tonight is Jesus, the true and better human. So Jesus, we know, if you've been around Christianity, you know that we believe that he is 100% God. But at around 2,000 some years ago, he actually put on flesh and became man. So he came and showed off what humanity is supposed to look like. And he was alive, most scholars would agree, maybe around 33 years. And he showed us the perfect example of humanity. He was fully human. He was completely satisfied. He was whole. He was complete. And here's a few other things that he was. So keeping these things in mind, that he was whole, he was complete, he was completely human. He also suffered. He suffered. He was single his entire life. He was homeless. He was betrayed. But he knew God and worshipped Him without sin. And that's the epitome of what it means to be human. Some of you just need to know that tonight. That you're trying to find your fulfillment and your wholeness and your completeness, that thing that you're longing for, and you're thinking it's in all of these other things, but in fact it's found in knowing God. And Jesus is the example of that. He had a hard life, but He was the most Joyful human to ever live. But that's obviously not who we are, right? You guys have all been human, right? Your whole life and will continue to be. But even in our humanity, we suffer and question God. We are discontent with our lives so often. We worry about everything. We betray others and we get betrayed. We know God, but our sin is still so strong. And we live, listen, we live less than human when we sin. But I need you to hear something loud and clear, especially in today's culture. This is different than what you will hear in secularized classrooms at Marshall. When I say you're living less than human when you sin, I am not saying that you're just not being your best self. That's not what I mean. When I say that you are sinning and that you are disobeying God, it's not that you're not just living up to your self-satisfying potential. It's that you are living cursed because of your sin. We deserve all of the death-stained realities of life on this planet. And we deserve hell forever after life on this planet. You see, we were meant to glorify God as His image bearers, but we fail and we sin. So in order to show off the glory of Jesus as the true and better human, we're actually going to examine the, the story of our first father, Adam. So if you're familiar with your Bible at all, you know that it starts out with Adam and... Eve. All right, seven of you. I'm glad you read the first page. Okay, um, but what, uh, what's going to be interesting, though, is even as we look at this story, you're going to see a lot of incredible things of what it means to be human, but also how you fail as a human. And that, the plan here, if, if I do this justice and the Holy Spirit shows up and we see clearly the connections here in the Word, you are not only going to see how you fail as a human, but how Christ fulfills that, dies for you, and becomes alive again to show you a better way of being human. Um, so let me give you a few things that will help you through the rest of this series. Um, Adam is what we call in the Bible, we call him a Christ type. Okay, so you can jot that down. This is really important for your Bible reading. We call it a Christ type. Um, and I want you to know this. 
All of the people in the Bible show us the glory of who God is. Whenever they do good, it shows what Jesus does perfectly. Whenever they do bad, they show, us, they show off the goodness of Jesus by contrast. Um, and this is a pet peeve, and this is not inspired, so let me just say this real quick. Um, let's just not call them Bible characters, okay? I know what we mean by characters in the Bible, but I think we lose something of the essence and the weight of the Old Testament when we boil this down to just stories with moral examples, The point is that God has been working through history to lead us to the point of showing off Jesus. And that is what can change us forever. So it's not just Bible characters. Although if you say it, I'm not going to say anything. But I just want you to know, these are real people in history that whenever you see the glory of the gospel in their stories, it can actually change your life. So as we enter this story, introduction part four, Um, I want you to learn how to see your Bibles as one big story that points to Jesus. This series could change your life. You could leave this loving your Bibles more and longing to find Jesus in all of the scriptures. And that's our prayer. As a staff, we've been praying for that. We want you to see the glory of Jesus in the Bible. So, we start out in Genesis 1. And we're going to be in verse 26, but if you don't know what happens in the first 25 verses, you need to know that in the beginning of the Bible that God is just assumed. There's no apologetic case for his existence. There's no um, debate points on evolution and creationism. There's no trying to answer all of the questions you might have about how things began. It just assumes that God is and that he created everything. He is just there. He's a powerful Creator. He makes everything that we see and everything that we don't see. He starts time. He starts matter. He starts energy. God is the unmoved mover of all things. He has always existed and never had a beginning. It's incredible stuff. This is the God that we worship. And then he makes people, the crown jewel of his creation. So let's look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us... Trinity, right there. Make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is really important for you to already have foundations of your worldview. God created people and, that, and, and he created everything. We can't see what we can't see. And then he created us. And that is where we need to start, even as we examine other truth claims from other scientific sources. You need to know this. You started because God is. Everything that we see is because God is a creator. So he makes humans. Here's some notes for you about humans. First thing is that we're created by God. He calls us good. He literally fashioned us, and he made us specifically for this incredible planet that he made for us to enjoy him. We were made in his image. No other creature can claim this. 
You, listen, you were made like God. You were not made a God. You were made in His image. This means a lot of things for you. This means that if you're a human being, that you have value. God made you. You don't need self-esteem when you know who you are in God. God made you. This also means that you have purpose. Your purpose is to image and reflect Him and show off our God to the world. This means you have identity. He made you. And in our purpose, we were given the task. If you'll see there in, um, as he's talking about, I'm giving you this and giving you this. Go subdue the earth. He is literally giving us what most theologians would call the cultural mandate. Don't get caught up in fancy words. It just means that we as humans were created to go make culture throughout the earth. It says that we are to subdue the earth and that we are to be fruitful and multiply. So literally what humans were created to do was make earth cultured and make more humans. Show off the glory of God in the way we do those things. So literally, whenever it says subdue the earth and rule it, it's, we are to use the natural resources of the planet to make everything from music to technology to cities to internet to whatever else we have made as humans. It's an incredible world that we have worked on and been given by God for this task. This also has important implications for you. Everything that you do as a human is meant to glorify God. In our jobs, in our families, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, in our lives. This is what it means to be human. To love God and walk with Him by creating and making culture in our world. In chapter 2, we actually learn that these first humans were named Adam and Eve. And they represent humanity. And God gives them a choice. He gives them a choice in chapter 2 that has to do with a tree. And that tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let me paint this picture for you. God gives them this incredible grace garden with one law tree. Okay? He says, do not eat of this tree. Enjoy this earth that I've given you. Subdue it. Push the boundaries of the garden into the wilderness. Make this place beautiful for my glory. It's a law tree and a grace garden, and they had so much freedom to enjoy God. But God wanted humans to have the choice and the joy of obeying Him. This is what it means to know good and evil. Obeying God is good. Disobeying God is evil. And we turn to chapter 3 to see how our representatives do. So that's it. It's be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, don't touch that tree. Obey me because then you will know what true joy is because I've created you to obey me. Genesis 3. Here's how they do. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So, right off the bat, we see a serpent, who we will later know is actually the devil, God's enemy. And we see this serpent is already disobeying God. He is trying to tempt and rule over humans, but humans were meant to rule over the beasts of the field. You see, they should have kept this disobedient creature out of the garden. They should have. First of all, 
the snake was talking. Now, granted, snake's not been around that long, maybe, so maybe they weren't ready for that, but it's just already a thing. If a snake comes up to you and starts telling you to disobey God, get it out of your garden, right? That's, that's a great take-home application for us. But the point is, is that they were supposed to rule this creature, and already Satan is trying to put, flip upside down the way God had ordered things. He's trying to subdue and rule people and tries to tempt them to disobey God. And I want you to notice something, that the devil goes straight to questioning the commands of God. And not only that, he goes to question the nature and the purpose of the commands of God. He wanted Adam and Eve to see that the commands of God were bad for them, not good for them. Now, this is really important for us. You need to know, living in this culture... That one of the biggest lies that Satan is still whispering is that what God has for humanity is bad for humanity. What the Bible says about sexuality, what the Bible says about how we should treat each other, what the Bible says about power dynamics, what the Bible says about literally every single subject that we can encounter. The subtle lie of Satan. If you ever feel your heart being tugged to say, I know the Bible says this, but I don't think that's good for people, you can know that's an ancient lie from Genesis 3. He's been doing the same thing ever ever since. He wants you to think the commands of God are bad for you, not good. Another key truth here, though, is that Adam and Eve didn't take the commands of God seriously enough. See, Eve said that they weren't allowed to touch the fruit of the tree, but God never actually said that. He said, don't eat. So, another application here. Knowing the word well, if you do not know it well, it will lead you into trouble. So what we see right here in Genesis 3, 1 through 5 is the first temptation for people. So the question becomes, and it's the the case for all of us whenever we're tempted, will we obey God and glorify him? Will we live out how we were meant to, how we were created to live? Let's see, verse 6. So temptation comes. Here's our representatives. Genesis 3, starting in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. They failed. They didn't do it. This is a devastating reality. The people who God made had disobeyed their creator. And here's the scary part. This is what we do every day. The worst thing we do, the worst thing in the universe that we can do is sin. And we do it every day, repeatedly, on purpose, excusing ourselves for it. This is more than just eating an apple that they weren't supposed to eat. This is cosmic treason. God said, do not. They said, it looks good, so I'm going to do it. 
And in that moment, they felt shame. In that moment, they go at each other. Instead of walking in unity, they start blaming each other. Instead of living in the freedom of the garden, they all of a sudden they know they're naked and they're hiding. They hide from God. Do you realize they got to walk with God in the cool of the garden? And now Adam, because he has sinned, he hears God and he's scared. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that this is how the reality that most of us live in. We live in shame and in guilt and scared of God and at tension with one another. And then whenever we are caught, we blame shift. This is not how humans should be. But they made their choice. They rejected the blessing of obedience and chose to follow a serpent and hate God with their lives. Now before we get to how God responds to this, I want to take a moment to show you the nature of temptation. And this is extremely practical for you in your walk with Christ. Um, in 1 John chapter 2, we actually learn the, the, the categories of temptations that all humans face. And, and here's the first one for your notes. Um, the first nature of temptation, just like what Adam and Eve experienced, is something called the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh. And for a quick definition of desires of the flesh, um, these are the overwhelming physical cravings that we desire to satisfy in sinful ways. So we feel something that our bodies want and we decide to satisfy that desire in ways that God did not design. So this is everything from gluttony with food to sex outside of marriage to drinking to drunkenness. All of these things. It's a physical longing that we have that we are tempted to satisfy outside of the way that God intended. That's called desires of the flesh. And the main target of that temptation is to appeal to our appetites. Appeal to our appetites. The second category of temptation is really important for you to know. Is something called the desires of the eyes. So, desires of the flesh, we have desire of the eyes. And, quick definition here these are the cravings to possess what we see as if we need them, as if we need them to be complete or whole or human. So, this is everything from coveting things that aren't yours to finding your identity in the stuff that we accumulate. Desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes. And these are meant to appeal to your affections, what you long for, what you want. And the third category that all sin that you struggle with will fit into one of these is the last one. It's called the pride of life. And this is the craving to be exalted above others into a godlike status, craving affirmation or praise in the place of God. So this is anything from being arrogant or just doing good things in front of people to be noticed. If you're tempted in that way, you are being tempted by the pride of life, and that is meant to appeal to your ambitions. And notice how our first parents fell to these exact same temptations. Look at verse 6. All right here in the moment to eat this fruit. We actually don't know if it's an apple or not. Fruit. So look, it's in the orange there. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so which one's that? Desires of the flesh and that it was a delight to the eyes, desires the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise. In those three temptations, she took of it and ate. And we are sinful people who are tempted by these things to run away from our Creator. So let's look how God reacts. They fail, here's what God does. And you'll notice that God curses. Verse 14, 
But the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, this is now switching to Adam, he says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So you'll notice this is a comprehensive curse. If you remember that humans were told to be fruitful and multiply, and now there's going to be pain in childbirth. The command to be fruitful and multiply is now stained with sin and death. And you remember they were told to subdue the earth and work the garden. And now the, the ground is cursed. There's going to be thorns and thistles. Even the command to subdue the earth is going to be stained with sin and death. And lastly, there's even going to be pain in life. Adam is now told that your life will end in the dust, just like your life began. Sin brought pain and destruction and everything wrong in the world. And we deserve it. This is the mess started by our parents and continued by us in our nature and by our choice. You see, our forefather Adam had his choice at a tree. And he decided that he wanted life apart from God and then got death for every human who was born. And I want you to, we're going to start transitioning here to Jesus. Because this is where, it's, this is where it gets good. Obviously, most of this sermon has been not very hope-filled, Right? Like, this is the nature of who we are. We reject God. We're tempted to run away from Him. We deserve sin and death. This is all true. But if you'll notice, right in Genesis 3.15, I want you to love this verse. In the curse of what God says, if you will get this verse, it will change the way you read the Bible forever. Looking at the enemy of God, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and, he shall, and, and you shall bruise his heel. I want you to hear something. The offspring that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent is Jesus. That's the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. That right in the moment of cursing the enemy of God, he says, someone's going to come that's going to end this. Yes, because of sin there's going to be curse, but it is going to be reversed. The true and better human will come. Our forefather Adam made his choice at a tree and he decided that he wanted life apart from God and then he got death for every human being. And before we show how Jesus is better than Adam, and he is, let me show you how Paul picks up on the idea in Romans. This is incredible stuff. So this is New Testament now. We take this story of Adam, he's going to connect it to Jesus, then we're going to look at Jesus, then we're going to celebrate and sing, okay? We've got a lot of work to do, but this is incredible if you will see it. Um, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. We just read about that. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Abounded for many. Hold on, sorry, y'all. For the... uh, I think I'm getting old. I literally can't see it. Okay, hang on. There we go. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of of man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's beautiful stuff. What's the difference between Adam and Jesus? Adam's choice brought sin and death. Jesus brings grace and life. So the question you have to ask yourself is who are you in? You're naturally born in Adam, and the only way into life again is through Jesus. You have to consider these things. Are you going to choose Adam and stay on your path, or are you going to choose Jesus? Are you going to choose shame and rebellion from God, or are you going to choose glory? Are you going to choose sin, or are you going to choose holiness? So let's turn to Jesus so that you can see why he is better. So he puts on human flesh, he experiences all that we do in our world, and we actually notice that Jesus himself is going to go toe-to-toe with that ancient serpent in Matthew 4. This is so incredible. So think of the parallel here. Adam is in, he's fully content in this garden, and then he gets tempted and fails, but Jesus is in wilderness, okay? He is in a horrible situation, and he experiences temptation. Let's see how he does it. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Perhaps the most obvious verse in the entire Bible. He was weak and ready to be dependent on his Father. Please see this. So he's weak. He has nothing. He's in the wilderness. And we're going to see just how much better he is than Adam, who was in a garden and failed. Next verse. And the tempter, that's the devil, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. So we see right off the bat, Jesus is tempted with the desires of the flesh. Do you see that? He's told, make these stones turn into bread so you can eat because you're hungry. He was tempted to partake of a fleshly desire outside of the will of God. Look how he responds. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he combated this with having satisfaction in God's word alone. So next we see the devil tempt him with the pride of life. Look at this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against stone. 
So he's tempted. He could have shown off his lordship. He could have shown off who he was without going to the cross first. But Jesus knew that he was there on a mission, and here's how he responds. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So how does he combat the pride of life? He combats it with a steadfast resolve to do things how God intended. Next, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So this is temptation with the desires of the eyes. And here's how Jesus um, responds. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So Satan's literally saying, Jesus, I'll give you all this if you will worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. He chooses to worship God alone. Our new representative or the true and better Adam shows us how our first Adam should have handled temptation. Full reliance on the word of God. But you need to know, Jesus wasn't done yet. He has more work to do. This was at the beginning of his public ministry. He had more work to do as the perfect human. His mission was to bring life to those who had been destroyed by sin and death in the first Adam. You see, Jesus would also go to a tree. Just like Adam, he was at his choice at a tree. He chose life outside of God and what he got was death. And Jesus had his choice at a tree at a cross. And instead of choosing life outside of the will of God, he chose to die because it was the will of God. And three days later, he rose again, a glorified human body that will never die again. And Jesus becomes the new start for humans. You can have life now if you will repent of your Adam-like ways and believe that Jesus died in your place and rose again. People who follow Jesus are the new humanity. We still are tempted, we still suffer, but our future is secured. We end up as glorified humans just like Jesus Christ is now. We will get to worship our God forever on a new earth. We will get to perfectly reflect God as we were always meant to do. And because of this promise, because that is true of you if you believe in Jesus, you can live as if these things are already true because they are already true for Christ. As the band comes back up, I want to leave you with some final thoughts. Jesus is the true and better human who died for all those who messed up this entire world with their sin. Jesus is the true and better human who instead of living a cursed life, he took the curse on himself. You realize he literally had a crown of thorns on his head. You remember that thorns weren't even a thing unless sin happened. He literally wears the futility of our curse as a crown. And he can represent us because he knows what it's like. But he has always been God, so he can forgive us and restore us. So Jesus is the true and better human who humbled himself, showed us an example of true humanity, died for all the ways we mess it up, and rose again to empower us to live as the new humanity until he returns to bring us home. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that in my... Um, imperfect and scattered way as I tried to show the glories of who your son is, that you would just use your word to show these people Jesus. That we would all leave here convicted, not only convicted, but empowered to live as humans as you intended us to. Lord, thank you for 
giving us so much value and purpose just by creating us, but thank you even more for sending Jesus to redeem us from the curse and all the ways we mess this up. So God, as we sing now, I pray you'd help us sing as new people, as people who are ready to fight temptation, and as we long um, to see you face to face. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.